Good morning. It's good to see each of you here this morning. And as uh, we were going through the service, we were um, talking about the persecuted church and praying for the persecuted church. And I was thinking about the message that I wanted to share with you today and the fact that, um, that Jesus experienced the ultimate persecution. And uh, I want to draw the message that I want to share with you today from that persecution on the cross. And so if you have your Bibles and you'd like to turn with me to Luke chapter 23, Gospel of Luke chapter 23. But I thought about something that Jesus said. And Jesus said that, uh, that if they persecute you or they hate you, don't be surprised because they hated me first. And so all persecution has come out of uh, the um, the world and even the churches at that moment in time, the religious leaders of that day, their opposition to Jesus as the Son of God. And so as we begin to to look at that today, what I want to share with you is is that our our faith comes under fire, talking about persecution, and how do we respond when our faith comes under fire? What what do we do when we're faced with with that persecution or, or with that rejection uh, or, or with that hurt in our life. Edwin Thomas was a master of the Shakespearean stage in the later half of the 1800s. At 15, he made his debut in Richard III. As he gained acclaim, he starred in Hamlet in New York City for a hundred consecutive performances at the age of 15. And so this guy was accomplished and he was well known. He was a master of tragedy on the stage. Tragedies were his trademark. But not only that, unfortunately, his life would mirror his onstage persona. Edwin Thomas had a brother who was also a famous actor named John. In 1863, they performed together in Shakespeare's Julius Caesar. And in this performance, John portrayed the role of Brutus, Caesar's assassin. Ironically, this would foreshadow what would happen two years later in 1865. John would become a real-life assassin. On a crisp April night, John would enter the presidential box of Ford's Theater and shoot President Abraham Lincoln with a 44 Derringer. Edwin Thomas and John Wilkes both shared the same last name, Booth. Two brothers. We know John Wilkes Booth was hunted down and shot while hiding in a barn, but Edwin Booth, it's a different story. Things were a little bit different for his life. Shamed by his brother's crime made him quit acting. And basically withdraw from people altogether. He would have become a, a virtual recluse except for another event in his life. While waiting for a train on a crowded platform in New Jersey Station, he witnessed the crowd swell, accidentally push a, a well-dressed young man onto the track in front of an oncoming train. With no thought for his own safety, he hooked his leg around a rail, reached down, and rescued the young man in a dramatic way. This young man recognized Edwin Booth, but Edwin Booth didn't recognize him until two weeks later. 
when he received a letter from the chief secretary of the United States thanking him for saving the life of Abraham Lincoln's son, Robert Todd Lincoln. Edwin Booth returned to the stage after his incident and was buried with this letter from the chief secretary of the state in his pocket. Well, what's the moral of the story? Two brothers brought up in the same home, both drawn to acting on the stage. Both had a flair for the dramatic. They uh, had the same passion. So what was the difference? What made the difference between one brother who would take a life and another brother who would save a life? The only difference I can find is that of choice. That's what life's all about, making choices. We choose to be faithful and to follow Christ and be obedient, or we choose not to. We choose to surrender our hearts and to surrender our lives, or we choose not to. And so as I look into God's Word today, the difference of choosing makes me think about Christ. Christ had a choice. He prayed in the garden, Father, if there's any way this cup can pass for me, let it be so, but not my will, your will be done. He chose in that moment and in the days that followed and the hours that followed, He chose to obey the Father. He wanted to go a different way. He said, if there's any way this can pass me, if there's any other way to accomplish what you're going to accomplish, I would choose that. But if there's not, I choose to obey you. I choose to follow you and to do exactly what you've called me to do. And so from that, we find Christ on the cross. And we find Him again making some choices. In Luke, the 23rd chapter, beginning in the 32nd verse, it says, And two others also who were criminals were being led away to be put to death with Him. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified Him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing his garments among themselves. And the people stood by looking on, and even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. Is this, if this is the one, the Christ of God, his chosen one. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. I want to drop down for the sake of time and, and pick up in verse 42. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you today, you shall be with me in paradise. And it was now about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. And the sun being obscured, and the veil of the temple was torn in two, and Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his life. Jesus made a choice. And the choice was to obey the Father's will. And it led him to his death on a cross. And we know from history that it was a brutal death. We know that it was a painful death. We know that it was a, a cruel death uh, that he suffered there on the cross. But there are 
four things that I want us to see today about his faith and what it can teach us about our faith as we face the challenges that come our way in this life. The first one is this, faith leads us to choose prayer. Faith leads us to choose prayer. Did you notice the prayer of Jesus? Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. If we look through the Scriptures, there are over 650 prayers that are recorded in God's Word. Some of those are prayers that were expected of Jewish young men and men growing up to learn and to recite on a daily basis. Jesus, being a young Jewish boy, would have done exactly that. But not only that, not only do we know about that, we know that in Scripture there are at least a dozen prayers of Jesus that are recorded. A dozen prayers that tell us about His prayer life, that teach us about His commitment to prayer. There were times, the Scripture says, that He rose early in the morning while it was still dark and went out to pray. There are other times, the Scripture tells us, that it was late into the night, into the wee hours of the morning, that Jesus was up still praying. And so we know that Jesus was committed to prayer. We know that He was faithful to communicating to the Father. And because that had been the practice throughout His life, when He faced this moment of brutality, this moment of difficulty, this moment of challenge in His life, when things were coming against Him and His faith, He had something to rely on, and what He relied on was His communication to the Father. And He began to pray, Father, Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus was a man of prayer. And He set for us an example that we should be people of prayer. And if we're praying on a regular basis, if we're praying on a daily basis, if we're praying uh, in, the, in the good times and the bad times of life, then when the pressure comes, when the world attacks, and we're faced with difficulties like we see Jesus in this persecution here, the first thing we will turn to is not the world or not something else in order to try to satisfy. We'll turn to prayer. And Jesus, because He was a man who practiced prayer, He immediately turned to prayer. Faith leads us to choose Scripture. Our faith must be based on the truth and the power of Scripture. Several of the things Jesus uttered from the cross were Scriptures. Scriptures that He had learned. Scriptures that He knew, that He had hidden in His heart. And those things came out as He was facing the challenge in His life, as He was under the persecution. We know that time and time again we find Jesus, as He's living His life here on the earth, we find Him in the synagogue. When He was a very young boy, we know what happened. His parents went up to, to, uh, to worship, and, uh, and they started home on their pilgrimage, on their journey, and they couldn't find Jesus. When they went back and they returned and retraced their steps, they found Jesus. And where did they find Him? He was in the temple. He was in the temple speaking with the religious leaders of that day. And he was baffling their minds of his knowledge and his understanding of the Scriptures. And when his parents approached him, what did he say to them? Did you not know that what? I should be in my father's house about my father's business. He knew God's Word. And God's Word was a part of his life. It was a part of his practice. It was a part of what he did every day in his life. Recall the, the Scriptures, and it tells us in the Gospel of Luke, the fourth chapter, 
Satan comes and, and he begins to, to tempt Jesus after he's been in fasting and prayer. As he begins to tempt Jesus through this period of fasting and prayer, every time that Satan offers a temptation to Jesus, Jesus' words back to him are what? It is written. It is written. It is taken from God's Word. And every time he faced temptation, he answered that temptation with Scriptures. I wonder how many of us, when faced with temptation in life, immediately have the ability and the knowledge and the understanding of God's Word that we can reply with Scripture. That when we're faced with temptation, when we're faced with challenges and difficulties and, and obstacles to overcome in our lives, that we can, can recall from God's Word and say, the Scripture teaches me this. The Scripture says this. The Scripture says I should respond in this way. The Scripture says that, that I should or shouldn't do the following thing. That's what Jesus did when faced with temptation, fasting, praying, seeking the leading of the Holy Spirit. And when he was tempted, he said, it is written. God's Word says, this is how I am to respond. This is what I am to do. We need to be students of God's Word. We need to be in God's Word like our prayer life should be daily. Our study of the Word should be daily. When we think about it, when we go to pray to the Father, we should always have the Word with us. Think about this for just a moment. When we are praying to the Father, it is our communication to Him. We don't want a one-way conversation, do we? Well, how does God communicate to us? He communicates to us through His Word. He communicates to us through His Scripture that, that He has given to us in order to guide us and direct us and lead us in our life. And so when I go into my prayer time, in my prayer time, I need to have God's Word as a part of that so that it's a two-way communication. So that I can speak to God and talk to Him about the things that are going on in my life and so He can speak to me from His Word and give me direction and understanding in regards to the things that are going on. And so we need to be students of the Word. We need to study the Word. We need to allow God's Word to permeate every area of our life. Paul writes in, in Romans chapter 10, it says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Our faith is strengthened through, through the Scripture, through the Word of God, through the teachings of God's Word. Third thing I want us to see this morning is this. Faith leads us to choose meeting needs. Faith leads us to choose meeting needs. Jesus' faith in the Father when He was on the cross, the ultimate reason that He was there was to meet needs. He was there to die to pay the price for your sins and for my sins. He was there to die to pay the price for all of the sins of all of mankind. He was meeting a need, a need that we could not meet, a need that we couldn't take care of ourselves. Something that we could not do on our own. And so Jesus was, the very act of His sacrifice on the cross was in order to meet needs in our lives. But it went even further than that. We know if we read in the other gospel accounts, it's not recorded here, but, but in other gospel accounts, Jesus spoke to His mother that day. And when He spoke to His mother, He was meeting a need in her life. And she said, you know, behold your son and behold your mother. And He was placing another in His place on this earthly planet to take care of her. And, and so He was thinking about her and her needs and meeting her needs at this moment of, of pressure and pain and difficulty and, and sacrifice in His life. We think about the, the two sinners that were on the cross, one on the right and one on the left. And 
one of them cried out to him and asked him for mercy and grace. And, and in the midst of his own suffering and his own pain and, and, and the own, only uh, pressure of that day that he was dealing with and, and all the things that he was taking care of, he said, today you will be with me in paradise, meeting the needs of another. Think about the fact that when we opened the idea today that he was praying, and who was he praying for? Those who had put him on the cross. Those who had beat him and spat on him and, and mocked him and made fun of him and struck him and all the things that they had done to him. And yet he sought to meet their needs. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Time and time and time again, we see Jesus on the cross. Jesus in the midst of the most difficult moment in his life of surrendering all that he was and submitting to the will of the Father and taking the sins of the world on Him. Do you understand what that meant? He was pure and holy and righteous. There had never been sin in His life. And the Scripture says that Him who knew no sin was made to be sin on our behalf for us. Think of the weight of the burden of the sin of the world that He was bearing that day on the cross as a sacrifice for that sin. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus was thinking about meeting the needs of others. Meeting the needs of His mother. Meeting the needs of the other sinner on the cross. Meeting the needs of the, the people who had nailed Him there and, and putting the... Jesus was about meeting needs. How often when we face challenges or difficulties or hard times in our life is our focus on us and not on others. It's all about me. Woe is me. Oh, oh such a terrible situation, such a bad circumstances, and it's, it's all focused on me. Jesus, in the worst moment in his life, he was thinking about the needs of others. He also thought about his own needs. I'm not saying that we can't do that, but, but Jesus on the cross, and what did he say? He said, I, I'm thirsty. That was his own need. That was a need that he had. And, and, and he, he expressed that need to those who were gathered there that day. It's not wrong to take care of our needs. It's not wrong. But it's wrong if that's all we focus on. It's, it's wrong if that's the only thing that has our attention. If all we're concerned about is us and our needs and what we want or what we think is best for us, and we're not concerned about anyone else. And Jesus, in the midst of the most difficult moment in his life, yeah, he thought about his needs. I'm thirsty. But he was thinking about the needs of all of these other people and doing everything that he could to care for them and to meet those needs. We need to be about meeting the needs of others. Meeting their needs physically. Meeting their needs spiritually. Making sure that the things of their life that they need are taken care of. Making sure that people who do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior come to know Him. Making sure that people who are struggling, like we did with the prayer blanket this morning, we're praying for an individual who's struggling physically in his life. And we're lifting him up and we're praying for him. And we're taking action in regards to that. And so meeting the needs of others. Fourth and final thing. Faith leads us to choose a positive view of death. I want you to think about that for a moment. Most of us don't want to leave this world. Most of us are afraid of death. Most of us would prefer to prolong it as long as possible. And, and so we have a negative view of death. I think part of that is because we have a fear of the unknown. 
we don't fully, completely comprehend or understand what's beyond this life. We know this life. It's familiar and it's comfortable. And we're here and, and we know how it functions and how it works and, and how things take place. And, and so we're comfortable with that. And, and the idea of not being in this life and not knowing exactly how the other life works, I think sometimes calls us fear, calls us to hesitate. But Jesus looked, and at the end of His life, listen to what He said. Probably the most, most incredible truths of all time for us. Father, into Your hands I commend my spirit. He said, and then the scripture said, He breathed His last. When life was over, it was positive for Him because He was going into the presence of the Father. When life came to an end, it was a good thing for Him because He was leaving this world, He was leaving this earth, and He was going to the presence of the Father. Father, into Your hands I commit my spirit. I commit my life. I commit everything that I am. Into Your hands I surrender as He passed from this life. And the Scripture says He breathed His last. And for us to understand that the end of this life is is not a bad thing. The end of this life is a good thing. It's a positive thing. In fact, the Scripture says to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. That's a good thing. That's a positive thing. And so our faith and our trust that the Scripture is true And he says, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto myself, that where I am, you might be also a faith in that, a trust in that, that it's a place where there'll be no more pain and no more suffering and no more sorrow and no more death and no more separation. All of those positive things, our faith in that should allow us to have a positive view of death. Death should not be something that we fear. Death should not be something that we we want to postpone as long as possible. That should be something that we embrace with a faith that says it's okay because it's a good thing. It's okay because there are positive things. We must understand that that Jesus becoming flesh defeated Satan. He defeated death and He gave to us victory in this life. So that we can be victorious over sin, not victims of sin. And so that through that we might have this encouragement of a life that we live and we live it with the hope of eternity in the kingdom of heaven. Not afraid of that. Not not trying to postpone that. We live with a hope of eternity in the kingdom of heaven. He he speaks of of death as a, a good thing positive transition in life in the same way that Jesus chose in faith to submit and surrender his life in obedience to the Father he calls us to do the same thing we must commit in faith to our loving Father giving him all that we are as we follow him in in this life and we're to do the following following the example of Jesus and that we become people of prayer And and that we become people who desire to meet the needs of other people. And that we become people of the Word. And sharing that Word with the lost world. And that we become people who have a positive view of death and eternity and the future. And it really comes down to this. It's just a choice. It's a choice that we make every waking moment of our life. 
as to whether we will follow the example of Jesus and desire to become more like Him and we choose to be people of prayer and people of the Word and people who, who desire to meet needs people who have a positive view of death or whether we choose something else. And so the question today is simply this. What are you going to choose? What are you going to choose? There's a great story. It's an old, old illustration. It's been around for a long, long time. But it's about a student who decided that he wanted to be smarter than his master, Confucius, his master. And so he did everything he could to, to outsmart or to outwit his master, and, and he just continually failed. Until one day he devised the perfect plan. And he caught a small bird, and he put the small bird into his hand, and he said, I will go to my master, and I will ask him, is the bird in my hand dead or is it alive? And he says, if the master says that it's alive, I'll simply tighten my hands and crush it and open my hands and show that it's dead. If he says the bird in my hand is dead, then I will just simply open my hands and let it fly, and it will be alive. Either way, he will be wrong, and I will be smarter than my master. And so he caught the little bird, and he went before his master, and he asked his question, and he stood there, and he said, Great master, tell me, is the bird in my hands dead, or is it alive? The master only thought for a moment, just for a second. He looked in the eyes of his students, and he said, The choice of life and death is yours. The choice of life or death is yours. The choice to live by faith, day by day, moment by moment is up to you and it's up to me. So what will you choose today? Let's stand as we prepare to sing our hymn of invitation.